Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. What's my thesis? I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found or the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And I have a return guest, a first return guest. Welcome back, uh, Jamie Hamilton of the Telematic Space episode, which was very popular. Thank uh, you, Javier. Yeah. Good to have you back, man. Yeah, good to be back. So basically, the premise for this episode is that... Uh, I had all this uh, research that I did when uh, Seth first left the show, when it, where I was like trying to do the whole show by myself, and <laughs> realized what a huge task it was to just like research every week. Yeah, yeah. When, you know, so but I I start in that time I did something about the atomic age, and since then we've talked a little bit about your experiences living in Santa Fe. And so I have some things that are left over from that. Uh, I don't necessarily want to go too dark because I just think this is all interesting mm-hmm. and because I've been kind of bummed <laughs> with the whole like uh, electoral process and all of that recently we were just talking about. Yeah. You're a lot more optimistic than I am. Well, but yeah, but in kind of pessimistic ways, <laughs> I suppose. I think you're more... Like the whole system will fall apart and be reborn into hopefully something better. That, yeah. That's my hope. Yeah. It's like, it's a, exhausting to think about. <laughs> luckily, I know it means big changes. Yeah. yeah luckily we're not going to necessarily be only talking politics today. Yeah. Um, so, so what are we talking about? I, so, well, so. I, you know, this is just kind of a, a bit of a disorganized outline. So the way I was doing this, which is kind of fun and it's going to be fun to read some of the, sorry, it's going to be fun to read some of the names of the nuclear tests mm-hmm. because now there's someone to react to that with instead of me just reading them by myself and like <laughs> riffing. Them. Are they strange? <laughs> yeah, some... well, they, they're, they're very American sounding. But when, the place that I really wanted to, um, to start with... You were talking about how the, the bomb and the nuclear age affected... American well, a culture. A, yeah, and so I thought I was going to start somewhere else, but um, I guess we've kind of talked a little bit. You told me a story that, you, that you've heard about uh, these guys messing with, like... Oh, the demon core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I mean, I yeah. guess that's probably more interesting than me just reading some facts. <laughs> so uh, that's, like, so in 1901... Um, Frederick Soddy and Ernest Rutherford discovered that radioactivity was part of the process by which atoms charged, changed from one kind to another, and then released energy. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, obviously, but hopefully keeping the listener up to what we're talking about. Right. So, proton decay and... 
Yeah, exactly. Nucleus is coming apart. And, and so basically, yeah. yeah, like what it would, would, uh, you split the atom and mm-hmm. then the, the, the pieces, the neutrons or the, what is it? Is it the neutrons? Well, it can be, I think it can be many things that can come out. It can get like high energy radiation just in the form of gamma waves. And I'm not a nuclear physicist, so I don't no, really I, know. No, I don't stuff, expect but, you And that. you get beta particles coming out and you get, um, neutrons flying out. And then that's is those are the elements that collide with each other that keep the chain reaction going. These are the subatomic particles that yeah hit the other radioactive isotopes and cause the chain reaction because they're unstable because they're so big they like mm-hmm. they don't really want to hold together so like parts of them spit out kind of yeah. like a boiling pot of water. And then know? they're like w- so <clears throat> I don't know if I want to spoil this too early but I might as well talk about it because we're going to talk a, a little bit about um the you know the difference between the nuclear disaster of a versus like a a nuclear meltdown like three mile island or chernobyl and why that is so much more intense but then there's also a discussion like there are strategies that people are coming up with to handle nuclear technology which we can get into a little bit later which is interesting but um this is nuclear power yeah nuclear yeah. nuclear power like nuclear how to make reactors that are actually safe based on how they're made mm-hmm. because uh but we'll get into that a little bit later um i just find all of this really you know interesting and 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 sort of that that vibe of of uh, t- tell us about the demon, th- that oh, vibe the of just Clark. like the element of yeah. discovery. Cause I think that's what the atomic age is really about. And just this yeah. enthusiasm for feeling like, holy shit, like we can do this. <laughs> yeah. And just like powers beyond imagining. Yeah. So the demon core was, I think the third, um, bomb core that was ever made, which are basically just these, uh, spheres of radioactive metal. In this case, it was plutonium. And um, so how the nuclear bomb works is you have some amount of plutonium, and then at the moment of detonation, there's this sort of spherical implosion that drives all this other plutonium into the central area, and it compresses and gets it really hot and makes it go critical. So they need to know sort of how this radioactive substance responds to... um, more of itself essentially because that's what criticality is once you pass a certain amount of this stuff that's in a sphere it will go critical and it will just start reacting and get really Mm -hmm. hot and you know start releasing enormous amounts of radiation so these guys had this core and it was named the demon core uh you'll find out why but and they're um playing with the criticality so they're trying to see like when it goes critical and basically what they're using are these big tungsten blocks which act as mirrors for the radiation Mm-hmm. So this, it sees more of the same substance when this thing is next to it, essentially. So it makes okay. it seem like there's more of the metal, more of the plutonium. And so I can't remember the first scientist's name, but he's playing around with it, and he drops one of these blocks over it, and it and it goes critical for a period and releases like all this blue light and... Um, gives him what the doctors described as a three-dimensional sunburn back then, <laughs> oh, which is shit. like he's sunburned throughout his entire body. And I think over the next, like, two weeks, he dies a very agonizing, horrible death. And so I think, like, 
four or five months later, they're, they've got this same lump of plutonium, and this other guy is messing around with it, and now they've developed some protocols, you know, of how to <laughs> do this with so that it doesn't some kill. Some seems inadequate, <laughs> Yeah, though. some sort of, like, <laughs> ideas of, like, use some shims and maybe, you know, don't freehand it. But he's... He's kind of like showing off with some bravado with his cowboy hat on. And, and you know, there, there's like pictures of them reenacting these lab experiments. And they're all just in like blue jeans. And, you know, it's very uncontrolled compared <laughs> to, I'm sure, how plutonium is handled these days. And, um, and he's messing around. He slips and drops one of these tungsten carbide <laughs> hemispheres over the thing. And it goes totally critical, and the whole room glows blue, and everybody in the room gets an enormous dose of radiation, and he, he's, like, right next to it, so he really gets zapped. And his quote was, oh, that does it. Apparently, <laughs> right after he did it. And, I mean, they're just these pictures of his hands that you can go online, and you just see what it did to his hands. And it's sort of just terrifying, Yeah, this stuff, because it's like, I mean, it's... The worst sunburn you can imagine times like 10,000. Yeah. You know, where the flesh is just, it's been like shot with tiny little shotguns throughout it. And the DNA and the molecule and everything is gone. So then he dies of organ failure, like, I don't know, a couple weeks later as well. And um, and this little ball gets named the Demon Core. Yeah. This little ball So it, it, it was named that afterwards? I think after its second victim <laughs> fell, they called it the Demon Core. And they stopped doing those sorts of Not the clumsy motherfucker core? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I know, right? But you can understand this. Oh, and the whole process was called tickling the dragon's tail. Like this notion <laughs> that you were really playing with something that was very, very dangerous. Yeah. You know, and you're kind of like... Um, asking for the dragon to wake up which it did twice yeah <laughs> so that's fucking crazy yeah oh and the whole thing was like hot for days after they had to like put it in cooling water and stuff and like get it to calm down too because it, <laughs> it, it had like started to go critical and i so, guess that's <laughs> who do you send in to go get that i don't know i don't know maybe somebody who's not wearing like blue jeans <laughs> <laughs> one can only hope <laughs> yeah so anyway that's fucking so. hilarious i can't i mean like it it's there is sort of this thing where, I don't know, we have this like really intense respect for scientists and even mm-hmm. doctors, I think it's a little bit mm-hmm. like that, but there's also a quacky element. Like if you look at the history of doctors, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's some scary shit. It gets pretty dark, yeah, like they say. grave robbing and shit like that. Lobotomies. Lobotomies. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't even talking in those terms, but yeah, that is actually terrifyingly closer <laughs> in yeah, history just... than i than i wanted to get <laughs> yeah <laughs> than i wanted to realize was there yeah um, it's always an element of that i guess right in yeah. exploration so well i kind of i'm interested in this like promise of the atomic age right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um right in in and i want to emphasize that this is not necessarily going to be number like atomic age number three it might be just like you know how in movies they have sequels <laughs> that like maybe the number two is called number two but then it's I'm, like two and a half or something or no no it's just like it has a title oh, like okay. the 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 <laughs> i don't know i don't know what it would be we'd have to come up, up with that as we record but you know instead of being like three because it's not necessarily a direct sequel because now I, it's a buddy cop movie because I, I, I'm not doing 
it my, by myself instead of like, right. you know, where before it was a little bit more like, uh, what's that movie with Tom Hanks? I, I, Survivor? Uh, maybe. I, no, I'm uh, the one with uh, incredibly uh, uninformed <laughs> about popular culture. I'm the wrong We're guy fucked. for help you with this one. Uh, <laughs> the one where he has the beach ball. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that he talks to Wilson is the beach ball. Anyway, never mind. People are <laughs> going to shoot themselves I'm listening here. to this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Um, it's okay. But there was like definitely, you know, so there was this guy, Frederick Soddy and uh, Ernest Rutherford, and they discovered that radioactivity was part of the process by which atoms changed from one kind to another and released this energy. Mm-hmm. And then Soddy wrote in a popular uh, magazines that radioactivity was a potential, like it was basically a potentially inexhaustible source of energy mm-hmm. and offered, a, uh, like he started to offer a version of the future where it would be possible to transform like deserts uh, desert continents and thaw frozen poles and make the whole earth like just this smiling garden of Eden. Mm. <laughs> Through this Which one, is just one like... invention. Yeah. <laughs> it's like typical scientist <laughs> fantasy, right? I'm going to change the world for better. Yeah. Well, yeah. but I, and also specifically like just it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Even with nuclear, like, even if you could, get, like, there's just no way you could melt the poles and have everything just be a garden. Well, like, ironically, one... we are melting the poles. <laughs> yes, that, but in a, in a <laughs> but very, for different... very different mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we feel good now. But I guess, I, I mean, I kind of understand that notion of, like, energy being at the core of, like, uh, modernity. You know, mm. the, abil- the ability to, like, mechanize, the ability to have access to power far beyond like what animals and humans can deliver and that no and like the atomic energy being the next well it is uh, it is realm of that that's even beyond like coal and beyond it is i mean it is power beyond we don't really have anything else that competes with it in terms of power output no i mean you watch the bikini atoll atom bombs going off and and you yeah you that's Yes, if you don't a get a hard on, like, you're just not. Well, or, it's <laughs> like you don't half have a hard on and also half just utter <laughs> horror of, like, oh, my God, what have we become, right? We're, yeah. like, just, like, bombing well, it's such an interesting for nothing, <laughs> I guess, to test or whatever they did it for. It's Fostering. interesting to me because, like, even the way that we handle it, like, other than weaponizing it, mm-hmm. it hasn't really been handled well and, and developed very well. So obviously it becomes unpopular in the 60s and 70s, well, right? There's the, there's the um, you know, just this recent fire. Um, the Rocketdyne facility had mm-hmm. the first uh, commercial. Rocket, what is that? It's, it was in Malibu. It, I think it's Rocketdyne. So it was a Department of Energy, Boeing, um, and NASA were sort of partners in this site, and it had the first uh, civilian, I don't know if civilian is the right word, a commercial power plant for powering the grid, nuclear power plant. And they they basically, in 1959, almost experienced a meltdown. And the only Mm. thing that kept it from becoming like Chernobyl was that they just made this call, like, we're just going to open the vents. 
mm-hmm. and we're going to just let this thing boil over, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it just spewed all this radiation out over the San Fernando Valley and out over Simi Valley and all wow. this. And there were like these really high leukemia and bone cancer rates and all this sort of stuff. And it's been really kind of uh, brushed under the table, but it it just came back into the news because it just burned up in this last fire, this facility burned in this, um, so when was it it shut down at at any point? I mean, I mean, it melted down, the reactor melted down, but then I guess they may have repaired it and then they continued to run it. But I just, the other night through, uh, something that a friend sent me, you know, talking about how the, the, the Woolsey fire had burned that site and how there are these concerned physicians who have been sort of trying to lobby the state and the government to be like to take accountability for what happened and clean up this site because it's not just um, radiation it's also like all these rocket fuels and it's just really really polluted yeah. but they're really freaked out because all these plants have grown there and pulled this crap out of the ground into their um materials and then they just got burned up so they're like there's all this potential for radioactive smoke and rocket fuel poisons and things in the smoke from the last fire but anyway so i watched uh, a little investigative piece that um one of the local tv stations did and it was talking about how that they they got a couple of these guys that were engineers on the plants who were just like yeah we fully opened up the vents and just let out radioactive gas <laughs> frequently for a period of like five years wow and so it was like just it, kind of on that threshold that I, whole time i guess they were they yeah they just didn't you know since like radioactive plants are all built near big bodies of water yeah to cool them yeah and i think maybe they just hadn't quite Figured worked out. that out yeah. or I, you know I, who knows it was like the first one so i'm sure there were bugs they needed to work out yeah but it basically said it almost became america's chernobyl like the thing almost melted down yeah and had they not decided to release and so it's like right in our backyard too this sort of legacy of poisoning and cancers and stuff that people get from it yeah well at the time in 1949 yeah. the u.s atomic energy commissioner chairman or commission chairman David, uh, I'm not even going to try it, Lilenthal started, Lilenthal started, uh, stated that atomic energy is not simply a search for new energy, but a beginning for human history in which faith in knowledge can vitalize man's whole life. Uh, which it's, it's again, I also love when we you read quotes from this time period. It's just like, man, <laughs> the the worldview is so I- I- inherently tapped into like how they think about. It's like it's probably a bunch of white guys like being very proud of themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, get me some coffee, secretary, <laughs> girl, <Yeah. laughs> shit like that. You know, yeah, and yeah. and so like, yeah. so it's there's there's this inherent yeah. arrogance. That's like also really fucking charming. But in 1945, the pocketbook, The Atomic Age, heralded the untapped atomic power in everyday objects uh, and depicted a future where fossil fuels would go unused. And this is a a pretty, you know, interesting like idea that it kind of goes into the next thing. I kind of don't want to jump too much around. But, mm-hmm. Because there's some interesting facts here, mm-hmm. but let's skip ahead. Because 
What I really find is um, fun is just the idea of the atomic car, right? Oh, really? There was... There was... There I were, didn't know about this. So, in the 1950s, there were a bunch of uh, concept cars, and the Ford Nucleon oh is, <laughs> is one. Um, ah, shit. I should have been better organized so that I could show you pictures of it, but the audience can't see. Um, but... But they can Google it, I They suppose. can Google it, yeah. And, um... Wait, so it would be like a little steam-powered, nuclear-powered car? Or? That's what blows my fucking mind. <laughs> well, it's funny because steam, put... steam engines weren't that far before, so I guess yeah. that's still that mentality of like, oh, we can motate something with steam and it makes sense. And... But when you think about nuclear power, you just forget that it's all just to power steam. Like that, like yeah. that seems like such Boil an water. inefficient use well, of Einstein, that much power it's like <laughs> that's einstein's famous quote he's like it's a hell of a way to boil water <laughs> you know, to like split atoms and create this incredibly dangerous chain reaction yeah just all to boil water so to some degree there's a little bit of cheating because i think some of these cars were um were also like just concept cars, and then they were like bullshit. Like, yo, let's throw. Oh, and there's could be a fantasy. <laughs> you know, there can yeah. be a uh, nuclear uh, option. Right. But um, you know, obviously, shielding is For like a problematic <laughs> insurance premium. <laughs> imagine trying to get that thing smogged, or what, I mean, <laughs> imagine car wrecks like just oh, <laughs> tainting. <no. laughs> Entire intersections yeah. are closed for seven years. So, but it was a it, it it was basically a trend during the 1950s and 60s, and uh, they made uh, the Nucleon. They made only a scale model, uh, and you can actually see it at the Henry Ford Museum, which would be cool to check out. Uh, I acknowledge there's a dog barking. Um, it had a small nuclear reactor in the rear of the vehicle. So it was like rear engine. It was like a little bit like a Porsche where you have... That's good. A little further away from you than... (laughs) Well, and also it's like rear wheel drive, like with no, uh, transaxle or whatever the fuck that shit is called. Um, and so it powered a steam engine or it was a uranium powered, uh, steam engine with uranium fission, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like also like, Oh, (laughs) refueling your car. I imagine that she would last for a long time. Yeah. yeah, Who knows? (laughs) It would probably last a a, a significant amount. Um, and it's basically like the idea is like what they have on nuclear submarines, Mm -hmm. which blows my fucking mind. Cause like, you're basically just, rolling around with a nuclear reactor but i think that since those are in the ocean like if anything goes wrong civilians don't get fucked so they can get away with it i heard and i don't know if this is true that the majority of nuclear reactors are on the bottom of the ocean like that are sunk failed uh (laughs) military uh submarines oh really that are like somewhere on the yeah like somebody told me that once that there are more nuclear reactors on the bottom of the ocean than there are like how many beers animals. in were you guys? I, I don't this know at a bar? if it's a true thing, but it does seem like there's probably quite a few. No, I would I imagine I mean, I know so. there's the Kirsch and there's that other we one. We wouldn't know about them. Did you That's see... That's the thing, right? So I, I have, yeah. are you familiar? There's this guy, Hassan Minaj, that was on the newer Daily Show, but now he has his own show on Netflix. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he's a comedian? Yeah, he's a comedian. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. He just did a thing about how like well, the 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 bits are pretty good, but 
he did one on how there's been like oil leaks in the Gulf that yeah. we don't talk about because yeah. they're just not huge catastrophic ones. It's like, yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so with these cars, it would just convert water to steam and the power train would be driven by steam Mm -hmm. uh nanotech or nuclear technology was relatively new people thought nuclear fission technology would be soon like would soon be like the cheap thing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. compact and like i I, you know princeton's still working on that yeah (laughs) they still don't really have it the what the plasma lab or whatever it is at princeton where they're trying to do you know and so economic fusion or fission no fusion 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 yeah fusion what's do you know the difference Yes, fission is splitting, so the atoms are... And fusion is... Coming apart. Fusion is putting them together, like what the sun does. The sun okay. makes hydrogen into helium into... And we're able to do that? I think on small, very inefficient scales, but I don't think we've really gotten it to produce power yet. I think okay. there's still more power in than power out. So or fusion, it's not really controllable. So fission is what... what, what fission is everything. Is the main, yeah. Yeah, bombs. Okay. Well, I think hydrogen bombs might do some fusion, too. You'd have to you'd have to get some a nuclear physicist on to really tell you this stuff, but uh, yeah, like most nuclear power plants are all. How fish. how how did you get so interested in all of this stuff? Well, I I sort of had a um, a physics teacher in high school who was like a real um, uh, student of nuclear technologies and all that, and he. He uh, used to take me on, like, tours of the labs, and we would, like, sneak Geiger counters in with us, and mm. uh, it was kind of subversive for a high school teacher and That's stuff, so cool, it was pretty yeah. cool, but, um, yeah, so I guess I just learned some of it there, and because I grew up in close proximity to Los Alamos National Laboratory, where all the bombs were sort of developed, the early ones were... I kind of just, it just rubs off on you. Like, I have bomb parts that people have given me. Mm-hmm. They're called I from think, the, actually, the I, auctions. Yeah. It's I think like I've the, seen one. The beer, yeah. the thing I put beer in at openings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like some it part gets, of a bomb, I think. It's this big metal thing, like bowl shaped, uh, shell shaped <laughs> yes, thing. Exactly. Like a that, big lathe spun stainless steel vessel. And it's it gets all cold and like dewy. <laughs> really heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Probably this isn't not a bowl. <laughs> Department of Energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Surplus. So, yeah, I guess I'm into that from that. And I've always sort of found it really fascinating, of course. Yeah. I guess I didn't really have access to it. Uh, the The one experience that I had growing up was that in Italy, we couldn't drink uh, fresh milk when I was like... Because of Chernobyl. Yeah. So, because wow. all the cows had been contaminated, so we had to drink Barmalat that, that in the boxes. Six, yeah. or yeah. I mean that—that's when I moved there. Um, wow, and that was yeah, because it was like the whole cloud blew over Europe. Yeah, and it—I think it just kind of like shifted. <clears throat> yeah, that was really major. Terrible. Yeah. We can talk about it a little bit more later, but uh, how do you? How does having a full service gas station? sound where they will change your entire fucking reactor <laughs> expensive it sounds expensive right <laughs> yeah. it sounds but it, it doesn't it really... sound like a 1950s ambition like oh service like right now it's like yeah fuck you <laughs> change your own reactor <laughs> but you would get like five thousand miles to the gallon 
or whatever. Oh, to the to the reactor. <laughs> so and you would just swap out the whole reactor. Oh Jesus! And then you would have like different choices of reactors, such as a fuel efficient model or high performance. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> and of course uranium being the fuel which is like amazing <laughs> just like <laughs> burning this like fucking god and uh, you can use it as a hot water heater when you get home like just plug it into your home it can heat your home i mean that was the whole fantasy of nuclear power it was too cheap to meter right it was like mm-hmm. all of a sudden mm. we have basically free energy that's a, that's i have that quote here very yeah. good sir yeah i mean it was really and it's turned out to be our most expensive form of power. Yeah. By far. Well, and then there were other ones that we can just briefly talk about. There was uh, the uh, Studer Baker n- Packer, pa- Packard Astra. Oh, I think these this are more, uh, what, do you, what do you even call these? Nuclear-powered cars? Concept cars, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like a live-action Jetsons car. <laughs> it's just it's almost like an air, like a fan boat so when, wh- with a big oh and were these th- to try to make people like you know how you give them like a stuffed animal of a bear so bears yeah. are like or i don't know to sort of make it seem tame and friendly and accessible is this, I think this you is, think or this is sort of I mean, this Adams is all for peace part of kind of yeah. you, you know what that is right yeah we talk i, I talk about it on the on one of the other episodes what but is that no it's I don't. uh it's a speech that eisenhower gave okay. and it was basically to make it so that uh to make nuclear technology seem like it had more uses than just war mm-hmm. Because people just started to really shit their pants, you know, around 1962, which we're going to talk about, which is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, oh, and uh, the Studebaker Astra had one single gyroscopic balanced wheel, so a little... A awesome. Little, it, but that's a prediction of those uh, gyroscopic sca- uh, hoverboards. Lane splitting, <laughs> baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In both directions. <laughs> oh, and then the uh, one of the pitches was for this, it could be nuclear-powered or have an ionic engine. And ion thrust engines exist, but they only work in outer space because they're in a vacuum. So if somehow... So I, you, that, I don't, it just wouldn't work <laughs> to make a car with a... Um, yeah, you can't take vehicles through with that, have atmosphere for with that. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a feature. Oh, okay. Because they do not work with the presence of ions outside the engine. So I think the vacuum removes the ions outside, and that disparity is what makes the ionic thrust. But I think that that's like something in, uh, I think that, you know, aside from warp speed, they, that's uh, how, um, what's it called? Star Trek. I looked at my TV. Oh, <laughs> and it okay. threw you off entirely. You're like, you're like fully, you're really, uh, got the fantasies here going, <laughs> connecting the different fantasies we have, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fictions. Yeah. And so, but they never made a working prototype. Um, I'm not surprised. And they probably didn't intend to make one. Yeah. But uh, it was a project where the Arts Center of South Bend, I guess in Indiana, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, asked Studebaker to make, to imagine a vehicle that would address the needs of the commuter in 25 years. And so, I guess this is in the 19... What year is this? 50s. 58. Yeah. So... 73. That, 73. I just love, like... Because then I think about what the 70s actually were like. You know? Oh, God. Yeah. And, but, like, it's so much fun to, like, be in their mindset and project ahead. Um, Edward E. Herman, uh, Director of Interior Design, uh, he... 
actually designed this as a project for to give his team experience with working uh, in uh, glass reinforced plastic mm-hmm. and displayed the Studebaker dealerships so that people would be like, oh, that's really cool. This is what the car is going to look like in 30 years. But the car, you know, oh, and then it was recently d- restored and put on display at the Studebaker Museum, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Like it, it's. I mean, I'm glad that they took care of it. I think it was just like it's sort like a of in storage. Or something. Yeah, it's it's a fucking Jetsons car, right? Yeah, yeah. And then and the body is very. I mean, it says glass reinforced plastic, but it, for all intents and purposes, it might as well be fiberglass, right? Mm-hmm. And and then it has this little like. It's it has sort of like a Jetsons bubble, but it's not mm-hmm. a bubble. It, it there's no glass. It's an armature. So they were like, oh, in the future we'll just have a protective layer that's generated by these beams. So it's just like a fucking. <laughs> it's so weird. I it's mean... a Hollywood prop, you know, without CGI is basically what they made. Yes. But like, like it's just like. Oh, on the hype, on that space age hype, you know? Right. Like, what the next thing is flight, right? Everyone will have their own little flying machine. Oh, I can't. I mean, wait. that was the thing in the fifties, right? Everybody was thinking, "Oh, we'll be flying soon," or "We'll be in," you know, these utopian futures. We're still like imagine. Whereas now we're like we're fucked. We'll be like you know, violent tribalism and somehow figuring out how to eat food. So maybe actually now the future will be really awesome because yeah. everybody's like <laughs> pessimistic versus being optimistic. And you know, twenty. Well, it's supposed to, the value, the the cost of everything is going to get super cheap. So it's you're like. The, the line that Silicon Valley is giving is that uh, we're going to all be able to live like millionaires and that even food is going to be super easy. To, like all the bare necessities are going to approach the cost of zero. Well, but then supply, I mean, I don't know. That just doesn't make sense with just basic economics somehow. Well, it, it because like it be, I think it has to do with automation. Right. Yeah. But then the people who own the machines will just own the distribution as well and they'll adjust. You know, they're not just going to be giving away goods because it's cheap for them all of a sudden. I mean, it's like the Saudis. No, it's just, it's it's like manipulate uh, oil prices very it's a, strategically. It's a, I would say it's the same thing as like um, how industrialization brought the price down. It's just hyper industrialization, okay. where where since you don't have to pay for laborers, and then the other side of that is if you don't bring the price down, since people aren't going to have the same kind of work. You're no not, one's gonna have any money, so no everything's so gonna every, have to be free. Ex, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's... and like the the idea being that like people cell phones might even be free because without a cell phone they can't sell you stuff, they can't track your data and stuff like right. that. Right. And actually, I heard some. I was listening. Well, to... Well, you'll a... just have a chip in your head. <laughs> Don't bum me out. <laughs> We're talking about nuclear physics. God. We're having fun here. <laughs> I'm gonna kick you out. <laughs> Okay, fine. I want to. I want to. I, I want a nuclear I, motorcycle. I love that you can see, or that you yielded. Okay, well, I don't really. But you thought about it. I'm for very a easy about what we talk about. I have no agenda here. I came with um, with an empty head. Uh, it's so fucking funny. So anyway, I have more shit on cars, but uh, the next thing that I really want to talk about, maybe I should go back and see if I missed any any big points. Did you did you look up Rand at all? I kind of took a look at it, but you know, 
this was more of like I already have research, but I I was okay, I figured yeah. you knew about it, and I love the idea. Oh man, it's yeah. like Rand Corporation. I do have a thing here about rollback, which is because I did uh, the three main political geopolitical strategies, which are detente. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I can't. I'm drawing a blank on the one that's not rollback. Rollback, detente is the chill. Is the hey, we're all These chill. Are- I can't help you with these. I don't know these. Oh. Uh, isolationism, I think, is the other one. Yeah. So it's like different approaches to, to dealing with Russia, essentially. Oh. You know, okay. so... Okay. And, and, and so, like, rollback is, okay. is uh, a term that is fun because it's really just regime change mm-hmm. and so that's what all the sanctions and and all of that are about Blockades and all of, and yeah such. and all uh-huh. of that starts around the invention of the bomb so like this is all mm-hmm. this is like this is where we get into the political stuff mm-hmm. but first but first yes tourism tourism i want to talk about <laughs> uh the uh, you know because I think that what? there might have been some tourism around where you were, like, uh, and some some relics of that, like going to see uh, nuclear bomb tests and whatnot. Right, White Sands. White Sands, range. yeah. yeah. And, like I, for me, that shit is is cool. I would have totally fucking done that and like ended up with cancer. <laughs> so were they still hot when they let the first tourists in? Uh, no, people would like just go and walk. Like, the, oh, you haven't seen those pictures? Just like wander like, out into the test sites. Not into the test sites, but you could see it from a distance. So, like, there's actually even pictures from this Vegas trip where you can see in the background. Oh yes, the the, the, the nuclear the, the nuclear test. Yes. So yes. yeah, so that shit is fun. But um, they were visible from Vegas, and the city used it as an attraction because it's Vegas. <laughs> right, and it's like it's bright lights when you detonate, so it goes with the other decor. <laughs> yeah, so the first bombs were set off at the Nevada test site. It—I uh, don't know. I don't think those were the first bombs. I think that like the first ones were in the White Sands. Yeah, yeah I think I just worded that wrong. The Trinity. Um, site. but it was. It, I think the first ones that were at this site, uh, at the Nevada test site, were just north of Vegas. Uh, were set off in 1951. Mm-hmm. And that sounds right. Uh. It, uh, and okay. they they did a lot of them. I mean, there's oh like, yeah, it's a fucking like I looked and we're we're in the multiple thousands in like oh, yeah. at we, least we've double digits. And I so think many times. worldwide, I think that it's been in the hundreds of thousands. I actually shouldn't say that because I, I don't it, think it's, it's been quite that many, but it's a lot internationally. At maybe like five thousand or something tests. I don't remember the numbers. I do remember watching a time lapse once where it had the atomic bombs going off and it just, you know, you have 1944 or whenever it was that they did the first one at Trinity. It's like, boom, and then there's like two in Japan and then boom, boom. And by like the mid fifties, it's just like, I mean, it looks like Chinese New Year's, you know, with like firecrackers just going all off over this Mercator projection of the map. And you're just like, oh my God, we just bombed the shit out of ourselves. Jesus. Like just testing arms, like. Yeah. Only two have ever been deployed, but thousands and thousands have been detonated by countries. And they're like... Well, and then they had to start making rules where you couldn't do them... Uh, you had to do over, them underground. You had to do them underground because it was just like was whoosh, blowing into people. Yeah, neighbors yeah. were complaining. 
But in, uh, you know, what was fun is that it inspired cocktails, bus tours, uh, star-studded parties. Can you imagine just, like, being a hip 1950s, like... And you watch the bomb go off? Yeah, you're just hanging out by the pool in Vegas. Oh, my God. Just hanging out with your robe open and your hairy belly <laughs> sticking out. Watching a... <laughs> your dark European sunglasses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some good welding goggles on. <laughs> Seeing them go blind. <laughs> yeah. And then you have yourself a nice little... Uh, um, yeah, good. Just beverage that is called like the, the fuser or some shit. Um, and then uh, the, there were two hotels that were famous for tourism. The... Binion's Horseshoe Hotel mm-hmm. and the former Desert Inn Hotel. And they had north-facing rooms which provided unobstructed views of mushroom clouds and bright flashes from the Nevada test site, which, again, I would fucking totally do. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> if that shit, if they could... Yeah. But this is... So this is Why like... Why not? Yeah, of course. Oh. It's... I mean, it's terrible for you. <laughs> I mean, well, but you have a good chance of dying from cancer from like just, you know... No modern agriculture, so yeah, uh, it's so not that much worse. Uh, and then I guess the main streets I don't know Vegas that well, but you could get a, the best look at the tests anywhere along Fremont Street, mm. uh, but you could still see them from the strip. Uh, one of the coolest nuclear tourism hotspots you can still visit today is called Atomic Liquors. Oh, and by the way, this is from an article by Ann Hyder. Mm. Uh, on October 10th, uh, 2017, all of this, mm-hmm. uh, fun, you know, uh, let's not kill ourselves <laughs> Right. <laughs> at section making, of the show. Making a buck off the <laughs> uh, bomb know, testing or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not like belittling her. I'm saying that we're doing this so that it's not just a conversation about right. how terrifying all this shit is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you for her for adding some levity. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, this bar is the Atomic Liquors. Is the uh, I don't know. Is it? Yeah, I think it's a bar. It's the oldest freestanding bar in Vegas. Opened in nineteen forty-five, and it was originally a little bar and eatery known as Virginia's Cafe. But in nineteen fifty-two, owner Joe Sobchik realized customers more interested in having atomic cocktails, and so it's so just he's like, like I should. <laughs> I just love like you know the the entrepreneur. This guy's a character from a fucking Hollywood movie. <laughs> you know, it's like ah, this will bring him in. And so you could watch the bomb test from the roof, uh, with your appropriately named cocktail in hand. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, weird. Uh, and then uh, he rebranded it as uh, Atomic Liquors, which is still there today. Uh, the Nevada, the Nevada National Security, formerly the Nevada Test Site, National Security Site, uh, the actual location where the bombs was were detonated. You can go on a tour, um, which you book m- months in advance from the National Atomic Testing Museum, if you guys want to do that. <laughs> and, and it's just south of Las Vegas, and you can actually visit it, which is kind of cool. The site, the yeah, I'm sites. imagining that it's clean, you know. Yeah, and that yeah, is, mostly clean. I'm mostly sure so, <laughs> I'm, there's probably a little bit left but yeah. yeah most of this stuff is gone i saw a thing uh on vice tv where they visit chernobyl and they get drunk so they can so they can diminish the um huh? the intake 
of uh, radiation. Because like, alcohol helps somehow? Yeah, I think so. And I think it that makes that, you sweat out or something? I don't know <laughs> like, what it I does. I wonder what the reason is. Yeah. Interesting. But, but yeah, so, so that's kind of crazy. Um, or maybe they just get drunk because that's like tradition. Yeah. No, I think it's like I think Russian I think there's like to a, get drunk, isn't no, because I think that that's like that that's something that's kind of I've, I th- medically proven. Yeah, I think that that's because so, that's why like the tourists are doing it, you know, so they can yeah. go into those places and not like be destroyed. It was vice. I mean, you can take it. Who knows, man? I don't know anything. Who am I to question this? It sounds kind of like maybe you'd be better off with a Tyvek well, suit, but I think I, I think that like that's one of those things. Ah, man. Now I, I I'm so like fucking up the credibility of the research on the show, I'm but sorry. I'm just like no, 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 because now I'm just gonna talk out of my ass. But I do think that part of the story was that like even in Fukushima, people were like had to drink to sort of like you know yeah. Uh, God, I wonder what that is. Yeah. We could look it up, but it's No, more it's fun okay. Enough. It's fine. It's good. Uh, <clears throat> so, this... your listeners will look it up and be like yelling at their radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. Uh... Oh, and then you can also visit the state-of-the-art low-level uh, radiation waste management facilities. Ah, WIP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In New Mexico. The Sedan right? Center formerly... So there's the Sedan Center formed from an earth-shattering 104 kiloton thermal nuclear device detonated below ground. The crater is 1,280 feet in diameter and 320 feet deep. I just love, like, just big fucking holes. That's part of the fun, because we're going to get into, like, a little bit of the, the <laughs> non... Uh, violent uses like that were proposed mm. and just like like we need a lake here or yeah, something we'll just make that whole I, basin for it <laughs> i love that shit that's that's exactly what we're talking about oh my but God. but just like the idea of like yeah we'll move the earth and going back to that guy that was like we'll melt the poles and and everything right. will be in eden just, just like this right uh so much, so so such a little understanding of how the climate, like how delicate everything is, you know. Right. And and just like again, all the policies about how the world is run is just being established at this point. So, um, yeah, and then you can also go into one of those towns that's like, uh, populated. I think, yeah, I think you can go into them. That's like, you know, the fake towns that they build. I don't know if you play oh, enough. to blow them up. Yeah, to blow them up. Yeah. I don't know if you played enough video games <laughs> to get No, but that. I've yeah. watched like the video footage of that yeah. happening where they're oh, like, this is what I've happens to a brick. the real thing, not brick, the cultural reference. The brick um, <laughs> building in the atomic blast. And, yeah. And they have like the dummies there and the high speed cameras. And yeah. You just see everything sort of like. So I think you can go visit that. To smithereens. Yeah. Or just like, yeah. No, no, yeah, just knocked into like what are the smallest <laughs> parts it can be. <clears throat> and so back then, like in the 1950s, people would come and watch the tests uh, from Frenchman Flat, and they would make a day of it. They would like have you know picnics, lunches, and you just watch it go off. Yeah, and bombs. and the tour lets you make of it as a, a an atomic tourist today too. Yeah, so but without the 
the actual tests going on. Yeah, which so is that kind of the main attraction. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would think that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. So, just quickly, want to go over how it was sort of seen in the '60s because we're gonna get into some of the more important cultural influences. This is uh, um, a point I made on another mm-hmm. e- episode, uh, but. That that is that's coming up that was well received so I'm like I'm gonna fucking dive into it and in, in, with the with intention cool. but through the 1960s uh, by exploiting the peaceful uses of the friendly atom met in medical applications earth removal and subsequently in nuclear power plants the mm-hmm. nuclear industry and government sought to allay public fears allay yeah allay yeah, yeah. allay uh, public fears about nuclear technology and promote the acceptance of nuclear weapons. So again, that's sort of like what goes to that question you were asking, like what, it, why would they make these like silly cars? Mm-hmm. And I'm actually realizing that I have a pretty, I thought when I first glanced at this outline, cause I wrote it so long ago, I, I was mm-hmm. like, this is, doesn't make sense. Now I realize there's a through line. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and so, at the peak of the atomic age, the United States government initiated Operation Plowshare, which involved peaceful nuclear explosions, PNEs, which is a beautiful concept, right? Okay. Um, the United States Energy Commission chairman announced that the Plowshares project was intended to highlight the peaceful application of nuclear explosive devices and thereby create a climate of world opinion that is more favorable to weapons development and tests so this was so they could just rationalize developing even more you know destructive tools but like since everybody was so like i guess if if all it did was or if the story was that all it did mutually assured destruction is kind of depressing yeah no one's gonna be for that so there's gonna be protests and and as we'll see this kind of ends up happening anyway in the 70s right and in the 80s Where people just don't see uh, it as a friendly atom anymore. But, um, oh, and then this is fun. The, plow, the Plowshare pro- Project Plowshare was named directly from the Bible itself. So apparently it's like a biblical reference. Interesting. Plowshare. <laughs> Which yeah. is like, it gets you into their mindset even further, right? They understand. Well, wasn't a plowshare uh, the ability to cultivate land? Yeah, you would be given land to cultivate. Yeah, if but you I were, had the willingness to cultivate it, and it would be yours, and you could take the profit off that land. Is that is that are you quoting the Bible? <gasps> no, I don't know if it's the Bible, but the plowshare, I believe. Okay, I knew. I I'd just have know to what look it, it up. is. I think it's been. I mean, I went to art school, so I wasn't a historian, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was something um, so, like that. Um. I, oh, actually, I guess I have inf- more information on that. Uh, specifically, Micah 4.3, which I don't know how to say <laughs> Bible verses and their, mm-hmm. their description, which states that God itself, that, uh, that God will beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks so that no country could lift up weapons against oh. An- another. Oh, I so, see. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. So they're saying we're taking these originally designed for military uses and we're going to turn them into civilian yeah tools of betterment for societal betterment somehow yeah 
Yeah. Build infrastructure with nuclear weapons. Yo, you're going to like this. <laughs> so weird. So proposed uses included widening right-of-ways. I just realized that I've desensitized myself to this. <laughs> it's just absurdity of what you're yeah. telling me here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is not I'm like, oh, real. shit. <laughs> this is, I've never heard about this stuff. Oh, okay. This, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm very happy with this. All right, uh, so uh, widening the Panama Canal was one of the ideas. Right. Uh, Constructing a new sea level waterway through Nicaragua named the Pan Atomic Canal. Cutting oh. paths through mountain area, mountainous areas for highways and connecting inland river systems. So it's just like this, like oh my god, real strong sense of just control. So this is the sixties. Um, yeah. Uh, in the Thunderbirds TV series, a set of vehicles was presented that were imagined to be completely uh, nuclear, mm-hmm. as sworn in cutaway, as shown in cutaways presented in their comic books. Uh, uh, oh, again, all of this is just fucking Wikipedia, right? Right. Uh, okay. And the reasoning behind that is that likelihood that it's conspiracy <laughs> theory, you know, that I'm getting shit from a conspiracy theory website. No, it's, but it's, it's probably true. I mean, it, this all sounds like no, I'm saying it would as, be presented. No, as, I'm, I'm saying like, it's, rather than like go and, and have to do research on mm-hmm. uh, resources, like the mo- I think the joke that I said in the last episode was like, I just didn't want to accidentally pull shit from InfoWars or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, like, some anti-Semitic thing that has something about bombs, right. but it's, like, an anti-Semitic website, and I don't right. know, you know, like... Yeah. Because you, you can... Never there's know. click holes. Yeah. So I, I I like Wikipedia for, the, for this kind of thing, even though, like, maybe numbers and dates might be a little off. Yeah. Overall, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty sound stuff. And then the term atomic age was initially used as a positive... In a futuristic sense, but mm-hmm. by the 1960s, the threats posed by nuclear weapons had begun to edge out nuclear power as the dominant motif of the atom. Oh, I don't like how I, I'll just reread that differently. Uh, edge out had begun to edge out nuclear power as the dominant fucking thing. That that people are considering it to be yeah, like the you issue, know, the, the the myth of the it's, overriding issue that yeah. people are concerned with. You know, as they're yeah. trying to do pl- Project Plowshare. Well, as they're so, hiding under their desks and doing drills of, yeah. like, mutually assured destruction. The Cuban I wanted to talk crisis, about... crisis, right, in the, 62. Or, yeah, well, oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Good segue. That scared people. The Cuban Missile Crisis, that's actually, like, literally the next thing yeah. was the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, uh, it was a 13-day thing in October uh, 16th to the 28th. 1962 mm-hmm. confrontation between the United States and the Soviet Union was considered the closest the Cold War came to escalating to full-scale nuclear war. Now that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. Um and I think that there's something strange now about how we think about nuclear weapons. This is a complete aside, but mm-hmm. but I don't think that we're as afraid of them as we should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of weird fucking rhetoric and mm-hmm. and I think with the uh, continual war mindset that we have, yeah, like it's just it's a I am a little uneasy about specifically the weapons. I don't necessarily have a problem with the technology. Like for mm-hmm. example, the uh, rover. There's there's the two Mars rovers. One is solar powered, 
and it's apparently in the process of dying because they can't necessarily clean its solar panels. Or yeah, something, right? it, it's it's, it's all dusty. Yeah, and yeah. it has gone into this migration mode or something like that. I over I heard something about uh-huh. it on the podcast. But then there's the nuclear one that's doing fine. That's doing fine, and yeah. and for me that's interesting because like the use of nuclear technology in space seems a little bit more rational because it's already dangerous as fuck anyways. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then if anything happens, like, yeah. you know, there's well, already... And also the fact that you have a power source for years or decades yeah, is exactly. actually necessary in space. That's yeah. like, you know, you're not going to service it. You're not going to fuel it or charge it. You need something like that that's independent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, had, have you read any... The, another thing that I talked about on one of the other episodes is um, Foundation, the Foundation series. Oh, the uh, Asimov? A- Asimov, I yeah. haven't. I oh, haven't. It's, it's so much yeah. fun. But it's a lot of the, just imagining new nuclear technology as the... It's based on Gibbon's uh, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Okay. And so it's like... It's based on a society in the future that's falling... Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's collapsing slowly, um, and the science by which they can calculate how to counteract that, but mm-hmm. it's a subversive science because it's essentially saying that the empire is going to collapse at some point. Mm-hmm. But one of the cool things is that that you know there's a standoff between uh, the scientists that get sent to a remote planet mm-hmm. and all the kingdoms that are nearby that are slowly breaking off from the. Empire, mm-hmm. and so the the advantage that they have is they have technology, nuclear technology, and so mm-hmm. what they do is they start a priesthood where the priests are technicians, mm-hmm. and they can repair the technology without necessarily knowing the intricacies of how it is, and so oh, it's basically like the, the, so it's huh. it's about diplomacy and using nuclear power mm-hmm. as a way of it's not weaponized power that they have, which is mm-hmm. interesting, right? In that mm-hmm. book, it's like and and I think what was cool about it is that it was written as the bomb was being developed or at right after um, in the fifties, yeah, then? right after, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then and, and then I also talked about another book that I can't remember right now. I think it was um, the It's a, it's a um, H.G. Wells book about a world set free. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so so uh, I love how Wikipedia defined the 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 can like participants. It says belligerents, the Soviet Union and and Cuba supported by Warsaw Pact versus the U.S., Italy, and Turkey supported by NATO. Mm-hmm. Um, and Basically, America had just uh, Jupiter ballistic missiles mid-range in Turkey. In Turkey yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. And in Italy. And then the, after the Bay of Pigs invasion of 1961, Fidel Castro reached out to Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev, yeah. which is one of the badasses names <laughs> yeah, in Khrushchev. history. Yeah. He's just fucking a scary sounding dude anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, secret meeting. They had him and Fidel in 1962. And uh, that's when uh, nuclear missiles were put in Cuba to deter future invasions. Right. And the construction of uh, missile launch facilities started later that summer. So, 1960... And that's where they flew over with the U-2 plane and saw them. Yeah. On, like, the 14th or whatever, October, and, and Kennedy freaked out. 
So yeah, and then uh, it, during the 1962 U.S. elections, apparently there was an election year. Um, yeah, the midterms. It was the midterms? It was the midterms, yeah. How old are you? You're not that I'm old. I'm not that old. But, <laughs> but Kennedy was in, uh, wasn't he in 1960 elected? He okay. was 60, yeah. It was okay. elected in 1960. So it would have been the midterm elections. Yeah, and he was like still campaigning for Whatever, it. dude, you remember it. I, I don't know. You were there. Um, <laughs> you campaigned for it. Dude. You canvassed. <laughs> I was there. I was hanging with Khrushchev back in the yeah. Kremlin. Uh, the 1962 U.S. elections, uh, and uh, the White House was denying the charges that it was ignoring Soviet missiles 90 miles from uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was confirmed, like you said, with when an Air Force U-2 spy plane photographed uh, medium-range SS-4 uh, and intermediate-range R-14 ballistic missile facilities. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. set up a naval blockade on October 22nd to prevent further missiles from reaching Cuba, then determined the weapons in Cuba, or then demanded the weapons in Cuba be returned to the United, to the United Union, to to the Soviet Union. Uh, and the agreement was reached between Kennedy and Khrushchev. Publicly, the idea was that the Soviets would take down the nukes uh, out of Cuba, uh, and with uh, United Nations verification, obviously, they weren't yeah. just going to take their word for it. Uh-huh. Uh, the U.S. would not invade Cuba again, but secretly there were also conditions which the United States also agreed that it would dismantle yeah. U- uh, all U.S. built Jupiter BRM. No, I'm so dyslexic. Check out, ch- listen to those letters that I just said, and now here's the right way. MRBMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably standard for something. Yeah, it's, I think it's just like medium-range ballistic missiles. Oh, perfect, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, which had been deployed in Turkey. A debate is uh, about whether... It, uh, it, there is debate about whether Italy was included in the agreement as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the blockade was formally ended on November 21st. Uh, 1962, which uh, this whole crisis made for the clear necessity of a quick, clear, and direct communication line between Washington and Moscow. And that's when the culturally iconic red telephone, which was a line directly from Moscow to um, Washington, Washington was established, which is crazy. Like, yeah, just like. How high, high stakes fucking crazy is that whole like <laughs> high stakes like yeah it's like a game of chicken right yeah you're driving at have each you, other have you ever seen that john goodman movie matinee no ah no. uh, it's oh uh, that's right I'm, it's, I'm sorry you're not into that no i I, I should be i just but um put it on my list but yeah it's it, it I, I remember pretty fondly it's about like a guy that has a theater uh, it, that it, it's like he shows like scary movies of like you know radioactive ants that are gigantic kind of thing like uh-huh. MST3K kind of yeah, quality yeah. stuff. But it's in Florida during the Cuban Missile Crisis and like so that there's like this weird oh, tension and undertone. And since he's making scary movies, people are already kind of on a panic. It's like a kids movie. It, it's it's cool. I I that this is what I think of when 
I think of that uh, time period like that. I, mm-hmm. which is a Hollywoodized version as fuck. Mm-hmm. But like the reality was probably like <laughs> just yeah. severe anxiety and yeah. existential dread, which yeah. is I think a lot of people are feeling right now with in terms of like the the new climate change. Yeah, the climate change Trump report and, about yeah. twelve. It's like paralyzing fucking yeah. fear. So like I like to try to tr- imagine what that's like. But like yeah, at any moment, it's a different thing though. At any moment, like. Ours is just a sense of dread at our slow decline. Right. You know, whereas yeah. theirs is like, I, life could end at any moment. You yeah, know? yeah. And this weird, yeah, this weird game of chicken that's being played by these giant countries that are involving hundreds of millions of civilians in the game of chicken. Yeah. Right? It's sort of a weird, a weird time. And it's strangely binary, too, right? It's like they fire, we fire. Yeah. We fire, they fire. Yeah. No one fires. It's it's like it's almost like a computer in that way, it seemed yeah. like. It was all, you know, and Rand um was really involved in designing the, the different type checks and safeties and doing a lot of research into game theory and psychology what is game theory? and so game theory is these sort of um mathematics and probabilities in the study of outcomes in games. So the, oh, okay. like the famous one is the prisoner's dilemma. Oh, okay. Which maybe you've heard of. That's that. the interrogation technique. It's the it's or the it's idea a... that you have two criminals that were involved in a case. They're apprehended for it and they're interrogated. They don't have enough proof to indict either one of them. Um, so if they both stay silent, they both get out and they mm. both get whatever they stole, like a million dollars or whatever it is. But if one of them rats and the other one doesn't rat, he gets off the other one goes to jail forever so the idea is that if they collaborate they get a good outcome but whoever defects from the collaboration gets the best outcome Mm -hmm. and the other person gets screwed so the idea is that both people will go for the best outcome and they'll both indict each other everyone loses yeah so it's this weird paradox between if you try to go for your best outcome personally it's the worst outcome for everyone. Yeah. But there's really no incentive unless there's like the dawn. That's where you <laughs> almost like need it. the third character is like, if you rat on anyone in the family, I'm going to kill you both. So it's like, that's the sort of stability. I just want to give you props of, for your, act, your gangster USSR voice. <laughs> and the USA, there was no dawn behind it other than your just like humanity. Your dawn is so subtle. <laughs> it was like really, I was like, yo, you became someone else just now. <laughs> yeah, my hidden New Yorker. <laughs> Hiding. Suppressing like, slowly. Who is this time. guy? It's not Jamie anymore. <laughs> Do you want another cerveza? Oh, sure. Do you want to try yeah. one of mine? Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. Let's switch it up. But anyway, going back Sorry. to... No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I, otherwise we're just going to keep going. Um, going back to what you were saying about just like the prisoner's dilemma, right? Right, and the game but, of chicken, kind and, of. Yeah, well, so 
The tensions, they eased for several years, but then the U.S. and Russia began to build nuclear arsenals again. Mm-hmm. And this gets us to the missile gap, right? And when is this? This is now mid-60s? This is after Kennedy. Well... What time period are we talking about? Start making missiles again. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think this is the... Because we're kind of jumping around here in the way that I put put these notes. So that's a fair question that I don't have an answer to. It's probably um, after Kennedy. Because I think Kennedy was really um, trying to well, yeah, that's, that wind he, down the arms race. Oh, you think? Because over here it says, uh, according to Wikipedia, it says Kennedy when Kennedy ran for president, one of his key issues was... The, or maybe it was the key issue. Maybe it wasn't his key issue. Was that the Soviets... Dominance. Soviets, Soviets were leading the Arms missile race. gap. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but in reality, the U.S. I think, led it by like a fucking crushing. <laughs> I was just reading this, um, yeah, this book today about uh, just doing like little snippets of reading little sections of it, and I read about the Cuban Missile Crisis just this afternoon. And it was talking about how it was like this really sobering uh, thing for both Khrushchev and Kennedy, where they were like, "Oh my God!" But like, yeah, so I mean, this nobody is- really wants to kill. Anyone. Millions yeah, of yeah, civilians, yeah. you know, they weren't, they're not crazy psychopaths. And it's this weird posturing that you get into where, like, you're somehow caught in this dance of death. And how do you get out of that? Yeah. And that was the crisis that they were both facing. It's like, how do we get out of this without being weakened because the whole thing is about power is about dominance right so you're trying to display power you're trying to display dominance and yet at the same time you're trying not to you know mutually destroy each other so it was just i think it was a sobering incident they were both trying to kind of think about ways to sort of start stepping away from the madness yeah and then kennedy in 63 was wasn't he killed in 63 yeah yeah so you know yeah, um, so it was probably... Oh, actually, I said, yeah, like I knew a fucking thing about what you were I saying. Think, <laughs> you mean in terms of Kennedy's, uh, Kennedy's assassination? I was yeah. like, I was just I being agreeable. <laughs> but I he think you're probably in right. in 63, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you were alive then, so you no. probably remember. <laughs> I was <laughs> born in 79. <laughs> but if the Buddhists are right, I was probably like a tomato slug in We're like exactly the same age, and I'm giving you shit just because you know more about this than me. Well, I just read about it today. <laughs> I know. So it helps. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, it was the... I mean, we can get into numbers, but they're kind of annoying. Soviets had a few dozen intercontinental... Inter- Continental ballistic missiles, yeah, uh, which is just such a fucking badass word. Like you know, you th- there's there's somebody whose job is to name yeah. weaponry. <laughs> Intercontinental continental ballistic. They missile. went into space. Right? Yeah, they would shoot up, go into space, and then come down in half an hour. Fuck, that's how much time you have to decide what to do when one of them gets launched. Jesus, half an hour. And I then, think that was the other terrifying thing about it. It was so existentially terrifying was the rapidity by which this would happen. Yeah, and how and that it would allow for a chance to retaliate. So like everything, it was it wasn't just like oh we drop it and they don't sense it. It's uh yeah, it's like all and there were like freaky things that happened apparently um, in nineteen sixty or sixty one. They had their um, I can't remember what the system was called, but it was a 
it was a launch detection system. Mm-hmm. And suddenly one of the launch detection system goes and says there's this major launch. Oh, shit. You know? And it turns out that it's a full moon rising, and this radar station in Greenland has somehow confused the moon <laughs> for these missiles. And they like just somehow forgot to program that part of the... Universe yeah. into <laughs> oh hey uh, you know weapon so, system. so this There's is where moon. this is where Rand was really um, instrumental because they were the ones that were trying to figure out like what are the chances that what we've designed is wrong and that this is a false positive because all of a sudden now you're relying on all these computers and instrumentation to say okay something's been launched once it's launched it can't be recalled right yeah. It's not like a bomber in classical warfare where you have a bomber and theoretically you have radio communication with the pilot and you're like, okay, turn around, we've worked something out. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. You launch one of these things, it's going, it's going to hit its target. So once that moment happens, there's no turning back from that. So it was just like they were reducing it to like chess and they played this game called Spiegel, Spiegel something. It was the war game. Um... And it was chess, but it was different from chess that they couldn't see the opponent's pieces. There Are you was sure just it's a not refer- Stratego? It was called Spiegel. It was a German word for okay. like war game, which I guess is Spiegel. 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 Spiegel something. Or I'm, my German is, is uh, not good. But the idea was that you would have a chess board and you would have your pieces and you wouldn't know where your opponent was. There was a referee that would tell you the legal moves you could make. Mm. And so it was sort of combined like poker and chess because there yeah. was an element of chance. And it, it was very, very popular with Rand because it sort of, they felt like it somehow encapsulated this sort of strategic, but you don't really know what your opponent's thinking, what they're doing. Mm. So it's, it's really interesting yeah. sort of like, it's 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 area of it's like a breakdown of war where you it, like yeah. when you're actually playing chess but you don't know where you're gonna where the troops are set up necessarily. You're not yeah. really sure what it is that's yeah, there, yeah. right? It could yeah. be a queen, it could be a pawn. Somebody could be tricking you into something, and yeah. And I think what this book was saying is that the nuclear era ushered in this new sort of period in human history where rationality was expanded, but reason was lost. Mm-hmm. This notion that you can have reason as this overarching philosophical ethics and all these things by which you evaluate things. And you can have rationality, which is like figuring out instrumental mechanistic ways of going forward. And that in the nuclear era, that um, reason came at the expense of our increase in rationality. Like, all of this stuff was hyper-rational. All these Mm. systems were hyper-rational and hyper-thought-out. And there was tremendous uh, porosity between, like, very high-end think tanks and RAND and the universities and Stanford and Princeton and and sociology and... So it's basically a think tank, Science and all these... Yeah, RAND was this really influential think tank and the U.S. government and economics, and it all got wound together Mm. and gave us, like the American empire that was super rational, but arguably completely lost reason Yeah. in terms of this idea that you're playing a game of chicken where you're going to destroy the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. 
<laughs> I mean, very it's very weird. It's shaped so much of everything. Like it, yeah. it all traces kind of back to this at this yeah. point, you know. And it also kind of coincides with the um, emergence of artificial intelligence and computational systems. Shout out which to, is your, really to your last episode. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I actually heard someone talking about what you were saying about uh, taxing data. I know that that might not necessarily have been what mm. you mm-hmm. said, but within the framework of how you were saying it, mm-hmm. that that like to give people credit for the fact that they are the uh, the people creating crea- value, the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, the the value yeah. creators. That's yeah. how you framed it. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting, and I was like, oh man. I had a pretty sophisticated episode on my show. I mean, not that they're not sophisticated, but it, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's nice to see things that you learn through doing something like this be repeated elsewhere and be like, oh, okay, yeah. this is like a thought that so like making, yeah. that 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 is valid, and it's like, um, yeah, it's a relevant discussion that's happening between yeah. people. You know? enter into like a greater uh, intellectual dialogue. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. But it's and it's also nice because like when I heard it the first time I was like oh shit this is mind blowing, but mm-hmm. then and then like feeling like oh people don't get this what a bummer but now sort of sort of to see there's an a, idea like yeah. that sort of spreading is really interesting. I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I think there's more and more thinking about that. Yeah. But anyways, going back to the AI thing, the other part of that was because they're starting to get access to all this computational power. They're also trying to fit the problems of the world into something that they can feed into a computer, mm-hmm. you know, which is yeah. interesting because... Because there's say, an editing process of, like, what variables do get even right. counted. there's a reduction. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reduction in complexity to get a, a, a computer loss of to understand yeah. the world, a loss of, or a translation, you know. Yeah. So it's like the world doesn't even really have resolution. It's like the, the further we look, the more mysterious it gets, but it keeps going down you know in scales like we get to subatomic particles that appear and disappear or whatever but there's still stuff there so yeah yeah, yeah. i thought that was really um kind of interesting to think like that maybe the atomic era was also part of that moving towards trying to make the world calculable yeah because because it felt so frightening if it wasn't right no and then uh, yeah and and having some sense of control and mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um where, where, yeah. or ha- having a feeling of control and an illusion. There's also just this, like, um, you know, like we don't think of, I, I, as a culture, we don't think of China and Russia the same way that we used to. Mm-hmm. And we don't think of even America, or actually, we only think of America that way, I think, right? Like, like, uh, the Amer- idea of a superpower, like, that's also economic. That's not just military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. it's everything, right? Yeah, it, and and so there's this very traditional way of thinking about geopolitics and, like, we see ourselves still in this way that we're policing people, but we don't realize that we're, like, fucking draining our resources and that half of what we're doing is so that people don't realize that our money's not worth shit, right? That, like, you know, like the petrodollar right. and all of that where we're fighting... Wars in places where people say, well, we're going to start selling oil in denominations that aren't U.S. dollars, right? (laughs) So a lot of us, so like Libya, all of these wars, yeah, all of these wars are are because, and so that brings us, you know, I mean, I did want to say real quick before we get into the, the, what I uh, hyped earlier, because this is just a perfect 
Like, I'm just amazed at my, my outline because we're, f- again, going into geopolitical strategies mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about detente mm-hmm. and then a little bit about rollback. Uh, but, well, because this kind of, the detente kind of comes in here cr- uh, chronologically, right? So there's the, the U.S. So what I was saying is that the Soviets had in 1962, October-ish, they had about a few dozen. So let's say two dozen. I don't know what a few dozen. A few, right. I guess. It, right. Nuclear, nuclear armaments. N- yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, actually, specifically intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yeah. Uh, but some intelligence estimates say as high as 75, right? Right. So, this so we don't us, really know. This we don't, is the we, chest that you yeah. can't see. And the, but I mean, actually, I think this is after the fact, okay. right? They still don't really know. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I don't About know. what they had. Yeah, that's Who actually, knows? that's a they good They probably point. did, or they probably, yeah, that's some a good point. Some of them are like half built or, Because even right what do now. You exactly define as a completed armament or an armament that's under enrichment? I don't know. The whole point, yeah. the whole thing that triggered this is that uh, not too long ago, I mean, I guess at this point it was a, c- a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. Putin was talking about their advances in nuclear technology. And he's saying that he has, oh, I he, this. he has a nuclear engine that can, uh, that's like, like a rocket engine. It's, or more like a, well, instead of it being a nuclear reactor, it's an engine. I don't know what the specifics of that, huh. uh, mean but the idea is that instead of having intercontinental ballistic missiles mm-hmm. what he's saying is that he has the ability to send a missile that just rotates indefinitely because it has a it, nuclear engine that will keep it oh okay you know so like sort okay. of sort yeah of, so that must be a so, rocket engine of some sort i think it's a rocket engine but it's also um it, I think it's basically scaling down maybe something the, 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 similar to what uh, is in a nuclear sub, but to something that would be like, an, an, you know, a, it's, it's a smaller thing like to uh-huh. have a missile <laughs> than it is to have a right. submarine a with a nuclear can't reactor. Right, powered with steam. It has yeah, to be exactly. Powered with... With rocket fuel, yeah. I, I looked case, into it clear. for this, I, I, but it was just like, it was one of those things where I got more, more caught up in the nostalgia and less interested in suffering through <laughs> the realities of the world we live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But yeah. So, so my understanding of that is pretty vague. But it is interesting. So like basically what, what he was saying is that all of our defense mechanisms are obsolete. Mm-hmm. Our counter, you know, like, our, mm-hmm. you, you know, a, a, anything that we would, I think that there's like a, a network that we have that would be able to shoot them down at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is basically, you know, so when there was right. a lot of, so when this was post uh, election 2016, okay. there was a lot of that rhetoric about Russia, blah, blah, blah. We got it. You know, they hacked our election, which right. seems to be a fucking no go. At this point, like <laughs> we th- we found out a lot of shit. I don't know if you heard that Bob Woodward said mm-hmm. that he investigated it, and he was like, "I didn't find shit," you know, about the Ru- Russian hacking interference. And then they in also- the actual voting machines, you mean? No, I don't think that the claim was ever in the actual voting machines uh, about the because there was tons of like just fake news and things like that that had Russian origin. Yeah, I think that 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 sort of like the and and the fact that they were the ones that we uh, that gave the leak to WikiLeaks, which is why they're trying to uh, right in the Democratic emails. Yeah, exactly. Which 
Yeah. What I love about all of that thing is that essentially that information that got hacked mm-hmm. is that they cheated Bernie. You know, right? Which I <laughs> noticed while it was happening. Yeah. So like, you know. so so yeah, anyway. But anyways, all of that fucking talk about Russia. But anyway, so yeah. the point being that when Russia, when that was going down, Russia was posturing because everything we have now is obsolete. Yeah, and so which in a sense, it always was with nuclear weapons. I mean, that's a weird thing about it, right? Yeah, and uh, like, because and once then, you can destroy the world, you can destroy the world it's not like there's a way to top it (laughs) well i mean the idea that you have a missile that's going to shoot down another missile those have never worked that well Mm -hmm. you know those patriot or whatever they were i mean they do tests and they get like 30 percent, or maybe they're up at 60 percent. so they send enough of them they hope they destroy it but these things are going like seven times the speed of sound they're hard to Oh inter- shit! Is that how fast they're going? I, something. I mean, I don't know. From oh, that's Russia, right, because they're going Russia into space here in, in 30, thirty minutes. minutes? Yeah, I mean, it's insane. going fucking really fast. It's like a fucking yeah. Concorde. It's like a really yeah. It's like a yeah. It's like a space shuttle or There's something. There's nothing more up. that feels more that hits me in the nostalgia, the eighties nostalgia, like the Concorde. Like just remembering yeah. that shit. Oh man! And I remember they're going talking to the airport. about doing it again. Oh, like for supersonic real? plane. Yeah. Oh, there's people, people are rich like, enough. Oh, again. I miss flying that fast and up <laughs> in space almost where it was like dark. I never went on one. I know. No, they were like, super expensive. Yeah, I was yeah. Like born from rich family. That that would have been cool. But anyway, so going back to sort of this disparity, like eventually, uh, disparity, this so, technological so, so disparity the, that you're so, talking about. Yeah, the no, the the missile gap specifically, okay. right? So essentially, and, and that's just like talking about in modern times, because again, the game is still going, right? But back then, Khrushchev was fronting like he had. Like they were keeping up, right? Right. He wanted. To, he he couldn't back down. So it's that yeah. bravado. It's that that thing that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Where you just, you're. Uh, it's a pissing match that serves no one, but you can't. It, like, but at a certain point, you can't back down, and it's boisterous. And it's but it's like, also about like global hegemony and like economic dominance. And exactly, I mean, it like ripples and flows into everything. Well, you know what it is. It's but new yet imperialism. It seems totally futile. It's like such a weird contradiction of these two extremes, right? Because mm-hmm. you have on one level, like, I want my nation to prosper. And yeah. you're like, the way we'll do that is to be able to annihilate our competition, our yeah. nearest competition. And then their attitude becomes the same thing. And we have and to protect it's ourselves. It's like ants. You know, that's what ants do, right? They're pretty collaborative internally. But if, like, another ant mound or a different species shows up next door, it is fucking on. They yeah. just like, and then I guess the nuclear weapons raised it to the point where you couldn't have a war anymore. Yeah. That was well, now out of the question. And now you had to have so, proxy wars. So you had to have proxy wars. So you, and had, you had, to also had to have other this people, weird yeah. game of chess that you were playing that was like. Well, it's actually, it's a little bit like playing Risk too, which is just as fucking fun. <laughs> and which ev- came out of that yeah, era, right? And everybody, that game. <laughs> everybody gets God, pissed I, off at themselves. I like, barely remember playing Risk, but I seem to be like, I could never find anybody who wanted to play it with me. That's my memory I of think Risk. I remember, I've played it. <laughs> I think I, I sort of liked it. I really liked it, but it, 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 like, I think when I told my mom that I was playing it with some friends, 
and that we were really having fun, she was like, oh, shit, I've known marriages that ended because of that. Because there's this weird... Interesting. There's this weird alliance. It pushes people apart. Yeah, because you're friends for a little while, because you're trying to overtake somebody, but then eventually... You're fighting Nazis, but then... (laughs) But then you hate... Exactly. But then you beat the Nazis, and suddenly self-interest... And it's not good for interpersonal relationships. Interesting. Well, nor nor are wars, really. If you think of humanity as a single family yeah so so it it, it, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting thing there um but the so like he's fronting and at uh i don't know i didn't put a date for when this so this is 2016 putin is saying that we're militarily superior to you guys oh yeah yeah he said he was like don't fuck with us and he had like animations and shit it was, <laughs> it was legit. It <laughs> looked ever, like ever watched a. Uh, you've seen Doctor Strange, love, right? Yes, <laughs> the Doomsday Device. It was straight. I was gonna say it was. It was like a nineteen fifties, like it's, you know. It's triggered to shoot automatically. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh man, <laughs> that movie. The Soviets, they could. Missiles could hit American allies, uh-huh. uh huh, and most of Alaska from Soviet ter- territory. But they the range wasn't good enough. This they, is when this is sixties now. Uh yes, this is sixties. They couldn't hit the uh, mainland. Con- yeah, they couldn't hit the, the heartland, Kansas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Topeka safe. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and then uh, this is a quote from this guy Grant Graham Ellison, the director of Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs, points out that the Soviets could not right the nuclear imbalance by deploying new ICBMs on its own soil in order yeah ICB intercontinental yeah ICBMs uh, um, mm-hmm. in order to meet the threat it faced in 1962 63 and 64 it had very few options moving existing nuclear weapons to locations from which they could reach american targets was one cuba and, <laughs> cuba exactly and so that was Definitely. like why that happened <laughs> <laughs>